Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Long John Podcast with your host, Joseph Camperman. I am incredibly excited to get this episode kicked off titled, A Blend Between Both Worlds. So you guys know me, I'm a sports show host for the Long John Podcast, and I figured why not come at you with two really, really awesome generic topics today. The NBA and NFL. So we're gonna kick it. I'm gonna kick it off here now, and you can find this episode on Apple Music, so Apple Podcasts, and Spotify tomorrow. But right now we are airing live on YouTube and Twitter. So you guys can find me at the Long John Pod on Twitter and on YouTube at the Long John Podcast. So I'm really excited to get this episode kicked off, and we'll get right into it. So. Topic number one, we're gonna I'm gonna get started on. This is this is an interesting one before I get into any more details. This is probably the best part is the NFL was really slow paced. And of course, you got you know your odd rumors here and there, but very, very slow paced. And then out of the news today, a big thing drops, and we're gonna I'm gonna get to that here with the next topic. But starting off with topic number one was the announcement after a relatively slow week. In the NFL, Dan Snyder has agreed in principle, so so it's not finalized yet, but in principle to sell the Washington Commanders for a record $6 billion to Josh Harris, a majority owner, who would be a majority owner, and he is currently the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Um, part of this ownership group would inc- include Mitchell Rails, um, it seems like Mitchell Rails and Josh Harris are both the big money duos in this deal, but including in this included in the buyers are Magic Johnson, who it, it is Magic Johnson, who is currently um, who would be a limited partner in the purchase. Um, Magic Johnson, as you guys also know, is a partner and a limited partner in the per, in the ownership of the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so th- this would be a very interesting move. Um, Snyder, um, Dan Snyder bought the Commanders in 1999, so over 25 years, 24 years ago, for 800 million. So talk about a return on investment. Unfortunately for everyone else, fortunate for Dan Snyder, um, fortunate for Washington Commander fans, anyone who knows or has followed the Commanders or followed the NFL for that matter, knows that Dan Snyder's ownership has been marred with. Countless scandals, workplace issues, sexual harassment cases, and I'm not even going to show any. In I'm gonna, not going to even show any. You know, I'm not going to spend the show spending time talking about the countless scandals that have surrounded Dan Snyder. I don't want to give him any more news or any more. You know, 
Ah, clout's not the right word, but I don't want to give him any more attention than he deserves. The dude is an absolute scumbag, and I will stand by that till the day I die. I am not impressed with Dan Snyder. As an Eagles fan, from an, from a pure football standpoint, I'm ecstatic because they have been mediocre for the last 20 years, and I've been ecstatic because I'm enjoying them being mediocre. But the moral side of it, and really what takes precedent in this case, is the Washington Commanders have been the face of a team that has been run really horribly from the top down. Um, and it starts with Dan Snyder. You know, I have the utmost respect for their head coach, Ron Rivera. Um, you know, I think he did an excellent job from a culture standpoint, but ultimately he doesn't make the call the final decisions. That's a Dan Snyder decision. And Dan Snyder, I think every commander's fan will agree is an absolute scumbag. And I think um, commander's fans would be very, very excited to know that. Yeah. Dan Snyder is fully, Fully, hopefully, moving out of the commander's ownership group. And um, we expect it. Obviously, it's in principle. But, you know, I was just reading Twitter right before hopping on the show. And it looks like, you know, Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails are both courtside at the 76ers Nets game, which we'll get to later. They're courtside right now as we speak. So my guess is there's no coincidence that the owner of the 76ers is, is, is sitting courtside with the guy who's supposed to be this sort of the duo in the major money transaction that is being involved between Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, and of course the owner of the current owner of the commanders, Dan Snyder. So um, from a NFL standpoint and a moral standpoint, this is a win for the commanders. Um, For the Eagles, it'll be interesting. I, I didn't really know how to feel about it when it was first announced that he was mulling around buying the team earlier on last week. And then when it happened, I was talking with a coworker, and he based he said to me, he was like, "Well, you could look at it one way, where it's not often that you get to see that say that your city essentially owns the Commanders from top to bottom." And I sort of like that take, so I'm going to take that. I'm going to run with that is f- as long as I can, because ultimately, yeah, the, it is not there. It, it does you. It's not often that I can say that, yeah, we truly own it. And, of course, the owner of 76ers, and I'm a Philadelphia 76ers, huge Philadelphia 76ers fan. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit weird. Um, it's definitely – I don't know how to feel about it because I, <laughs> it just doesn't seem right. But it also – yeah, it's just part of the NFL. And, and, and um, yeah, it's unbelievably crazy um, to think that finally this is coming to an end after what seems like eternity. Um, you know, first they went through the name change – went nameless for a while. Then they chose a name that I personally didn't think was the most inclusive name. Um, I thought it was a little bit of a, oh, well, we don't have a name, so we're just going to pull a name out of a hat. I I don't know. The commanders, I I can't stand them. So this doesn't really change my opinion on them at all. It just makes it from a moral standpoint a much better situation. But I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. I'm going to move into topic number two, which is the bombshell Jalen Hurts contract update. So, of course, yesterday, if any of you guys have watched or, or read my weekly news sports pod, uh, sports report, which drops on Instagram every Sunday, if you noticed, on Sunday I posted, you know, while we're still waiting for the Jalen Hurts contract situation to be resolved, well, guess what, guys? This afternoon, the Eagles inked Jalen Hurts to a five-year, massive $255 million deal, which includes $179.3 million million in total guaranteed money. Um, This is obviously, as a lot of you know, a 
substantial amount of money, and it's the second most. I'm going to read some stats from here for you guys. I am a man of stats. I really like to read some of these um, just to show you just the sheer magnitude of this contract. It's the second most ever guaranteed money to an NFL player behind the $230 million that was given to Deshaun Watson by the Cleveland Browns last year after the trade where he was sent from the Houston Texans to the Cleveland Browns for a variety of picks, and he signs this massive fully guaranteed contract. Now, unlike um, Deshaun Watson's contract, Jalen Hurts is not fully guaranteed, but he does net the second highest guaranteed money by an NFL quarterback in NFL history. So that's, or actually a player in that matter in NFL history. Um, some notes that I've ta- that I've gathered from NFL Network. It's expected that he's going to receive a full 110 fully guaranteed, 110 million fully guaranteed money at signing, um, and he's also expected to make 64 million dollars through the first year of his new deal that will kick into place in 2024. So from what I understand regarding this deal, Hertz gets a raise in 2023, which includes a $23.294 million signing bonus. And he will make basically, as I said, 64 million through the first new year in his in, in 2024. So this actually provides the Eagles with some flexibility. Jalen Hurts can earn an additional $15 million in incentives, giving him an opportunity to make as much as $274.304 million through 2028. So, of course, you know, right now we know the base contract is $255. He can make an additional $14 million on top, $15 million on top of that. He's also going to make be making on top of that $4.34 million that would have been due in the last year of his original contract um, this season. So you know, it looks like, from what I understand, and of course, we're gonna I'm gonna find out a lot. We as in general, the sports world is gonna find it's gonna find out a lot um, about the contract status and the contract details in the coming weeks. Um, I. Here's how I sort of feel about this situation. It, you know, at first when I saw the contract come in, I'm like, whoa, 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 this is huge. I mean, I expected it to be big, but this is massive. You know, I didn't really know how to feel, to be honest with you guys. Um, but when I started looking at the numbers, it started to make a little bit more sense. And of course, I could, you know, it looks like I will say this: until more details come out, I'm reading simply what's from report from Ian Rappaport, from various other news reporters. It looks like the Eagles now maintain flexibility for the next six years on a deal that preserves, you know, preserves preserves the Eagles in a way that they can hopefully keep the team intact. And you know, part of what it looks like is it looks like he's going to make sixty four million dollars in the first new in the first new year of his twenty twenty four contract, and that looks like it's going to be sixty four million. And that's including the first two years. So, you know, if he's, he was due the $4.304 million under his rookie contract this year, it looks like he gets a raise, which includes a $23.94 million signing bonus. So it looks like he could make about a little upwards of $40 million in 2024. But if you split $64 million, unless I'm mis- mistaken, if you split $64 million over two years, that's really not bad at all. Um, and what's big about this contract is that he is the first Eagles player in history with a no-trade clause. And for any of you guys who don't know what that means, I'll explain it to you. It's it's quite fascinating. So the no-trade clause really started gaining steam, I would say, in the last four to five years, where NBA players and NFL players felt like 
hey, we feel like we're being owned by the team. We should have a say when they want to trade us, where they want to trade us. Um, and so in where so what they got together, you know, you saw a lot of a lot of, you know, the first the first story that comes to mind for me was the DeMar DeRozan, which I'm gonna get at here in a minute. The DeMar DeRozan trade from the Toronto Raptors to the um the Spurs, um, San Antonio Spurs. So you saw you saw that trade go down and it was someone who was like DeMar DeRozan and never requested a trade. He was a good player. And, you know, all of a sudden you saw the Raptors had an opportunity to get Kawhi Leonard, this big name star. Of course, Kawhi ended up bringing them a championship. So no one in Toronto is probably complaining, but the NBA sports world sort of went on high alert from my memory where a lot of players were saying, well, where's the loyalty? You know, players get bashed when they want to leave a team when an NBA or NFL or for that matter any sports team wants to trade or get rid of a player all of a sudden it's okay and so a lot of in my memory you know and I'm this has been a conversation that's had for many years now but in my memory that sort of started kick training this you know what if I'm going to play for you and I'm going to show you loyalty you should show me the enough loyalty to where you say you know what hey your cap's getting too, you know, your, your contract's too big for this team. We're not, or maybe we're not seeing eye to eye. Instead of trading you to the first player, first team who comes asking, which typically would probably be one of the worst teams in sports, in that sports um, league, instead of trading you to them because they probably have the most amount of first round picks, most amount of picks, most amount of money. Instead of trading you there, we're going to trade you to a team that you want to go to. Now, sometimes that does mean the worst team because sometimes the players just wanting to get the money. But it sort of keeps that open line of communication between the players. And and I'm fully in agreement with it. And so the no trade clause basically means if the Eagles want to trade Jalen Hurts, unless they can somehow figure out a way to make the guaranteed money feasible for another team, they're not going to trade him for at least the next three years. But if they want to trade him, they get to sit down with him and hash out with him and his agent where they want to go. And ultimately that's what's happening right now with Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers is willing to go to New York jets, but now they've got to hash it out and say, what do you want? And so it's a very interesting um, dynamic. I'm not going to dwell too much more on it, but it is cool that he is the first Eagles player and um, in history to have a no trade clause. So you probably are wondering where does Jalen Hurts rank in the quarterback rankings for payment? So, of course, as I just stated earlier on in this conversation, Jalen Hurts is now officially the wealthiest quarterback by year, not by guaranteed money, but by year. And so he falls number one at $51 million on average per year. Aaron Rodgers comes in a solid a second, $49 million. Russell Wilson, quarterback for the Broncos comes in for at 48 million. Kyler Murray, Arizona Cardinals quarterback, 48 million. Sorry, 46.1 million. Deshaun Watson comes in at 46 million. Patrick Mahomes comes in at 45 million. Josh Allen comes at 43 million. Daniel Jones for the Giants comes in at 40 million. Matthew Stafford for the Rams comes in at 40 million. And Dak Prescott comes in for the Cowboys comes in at 40 million. So here's the deal when I look at this. Okay. So I'm not going to go and go bore you guys with more stats on what has happened here. But I'm going to tell you right now, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes are the only people on this list. Sorry, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and Jalen Hurts are the only one on team of these 10 players are the only five to actually have been to a Super Bowl. The list now gets more narrow. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes and Matthew Stafford 
are the only teams to have quarterbacks to have won a Super Bowl. So, of course, four of the top ten, five of the top ten are have been to a Super Bowl. Four of the top ten have won a Super Bowl. Two of the top ten have been to more than one Super Bowl, and only one of the top ten has actually won more than won more than one Super Bowl. And that person is Patrick Mahomes, who in a lot of reporters believes was actually outplayed by Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. Now we can I can discuss this. You know, I know Jalen Hurts had the key fumble, but he rebounded well. I'm not going to sit here and argue on who I believe is better in this rankings, but I will tell you right now. Of these rankings, the only quarterback right now, now I'm not telling you five years down the road, I'm not telling you next year. The only quarterback present day that I would rather on my team, and it's not even rather, but the only quarterback that I would justify paying more than Jalen Hurts right now would be Patrick Mahomes. And I know that's crazy to say it, but it's because he has two um he has uh two Super Bowl wins and three Super Bowl appearances. Um it's rather incredible. Um sorry, yeah, he's got one, two, yeah. So he's got three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl wins. It's incredible. So the real question is behind this is, okay, well, who's next? Well, Josh Allen, I would rank next. Now, my opinion was this is Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, I rank neck and neck. And I know I'm I'm high on Jalen Hurts because, yes, I am partially biased. But I believe strongly that Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, there is not a huge difference. Now, I, I guess I want to see Jalen Hurts continue um, this, um, you know, continue his tear that he's been on this last season. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather Hurts over Prescott. I'd rather Hurts over Stafford because of age. I'd rather Hurts over Jones. I'd rather Daniel Jones. I'd rather Hurts over Watson. I definitely rather, rather Hurts over Murray. I'd rather Hurts over Wilson. And I'd rather Hurts over Rodgers because of the negativity he brings. So right now I'm telling you, I'm not unhappy with the league um, and the way it's forming out to be because the truth is the NFL cap is going to continue to increase. And so right now, if I'm looking at it and I'm an Eagles fan, I know that, yes, while it looks like he's making a lot in years maybe four, five, and six, or even years two through six, that cap space is only going to increase. And so, therefore, that deal that is now is going to be quickly re- surpassed. And you may ask by who? Well, there's three quarterbacks on the market right now that are still waiting on a contract. And, of course, the big one that I've talked about before in this show is Lamar Jackson. Apparently, they offered Lamar Jackson $200 million guaranteed. We'll see if that's something that's new or if that's later. It, it appears that Lamar Jackson told the Ravens last week, go get Odell Beckham and DeAndre Hopkins, and then we'll talk. And that's a diva move by me. I don't have any problem with Lamar Jackson wanting to get paid. I am fully for him getting paid. But when you start making those demands as a quarterback who's not even won more a uh, significant amount of playoff games, he's not finished the last two seasons healthy. I, I don't think, and he doesn't even have a Super Bowl win or a Super Bowl appearance. I don't think that gives him grounds to start making demands like Aaron Rodgers is making. Now, I also think Aaron Rodgers is a diva, so I'm not. I I, I wouldn't want either of them on my team, but. That's he's the big one on top of him. And these are the interesting ones. Joe Burrow from the Cincinnati Bengals, Justin Herbert from the Los Angeles Chargers and um, and two, um not Los Angeles Chargers. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Los, Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah. And to a, a tug of Aloha from the Miami Dolphins, they're all waiting for a contract. Now, I know Justin Herbert and, J- and Joe Burrow are both going to probably eclipse if not meet the contract that Jalen Hurts has got. I don't know about Tua yet. I think the Dolphins are still kicking the tires on whether they see him as their franchise guy. It appears they do. 
based off of the moves they made this offseason. But both Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, I would expect to surpass this contract. And no Eagles fan is going to be laughing when they do because the truth is I firmly believe that the quarterback rankings are probably Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen because of the super because of the playoff experience and then probably Justin Herbert. I think, you know, I think really picks I think quarterbacks 2 through 4 could be interchanged. Um I think Patrick Mahomes stands alone um by himself, but that's really where I'm looking at it right now. Um, and I know that the truth is his contract could be surpassed tomorrow, could be surpassed next week. I think it's just a matter of time before either of those quarterbacks, either of any of those, either of those three quarterbacks sign that um, sign a deal. So moving on, the, it, the the one really cool fact about this contract is it's actually, it is appears to be the largest contract ever negotiated by a female agent in sports history. So that's always really cool. I'm always for inclusion when it comes to having female um, participation in sports that were predip, um, historically dominated by men. Um, I think it's it's awesome. And Jalen Hurts has got a really good agent who I think looked out for him and kept the Eagles in mind when it came to giving them enough flexibility to where they're not just bankrupt for the future. So moving on to topic number three, um, of course, this is Philadelphia Eagles news. So I'm going to get to you with just a few different news. Of course, you know, up until um, about five hours ago, the Philadelphia Eagles really hadn't made any major news. Um, I'm going to go through a list of their top 20 of their 20 top 30 draft visits. Um, they've had Khalif Alassi, cornerback out of Kentucky, Brandon Daniels, offensive lineman out of Utah, Brodick Martin, if interior defensive lineman out of Kentucky, Paris Johnson, Jr., offensive tackle out of Ohio State, Dewan Jones, offensive tackle out of Ohio State, Jaquelin Roy, inside defensive lineman out of LSU. Bijan Robinson, running back Tad of Texas, Lucas Van Ness, edge out of Iowa, Brian Brissy, inside defensive lineman out of Clemson, Jalen Carter, inside of de- defensive lineman out of Georgia, Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback out of Mississippi, Kali Ringo, cornerback out of Georgia, Nolan Smith, edge out of Georgia, Julius Brent, cornerback out of Kansas State, Gervon Dexter, senior, inside defensive lineman out of Florida, Peter Skaronsky, offensive lineman slash guard out of Northwestern. Joey Porter Jr., cornerback out of Penn State. B.J. Ojolari, edge out of LSU. Darnell Wright, offensive lineman out of Tennessee. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, QB out of UCLA. And that rounds the top 20. They may have had more that haven't been released. They may have still 10 more visits to schedule. Typically, there's top 30 draft visits. You obviously can only interview 30 players. So this is sort of gives you guys an idea, a look into who the Eagles may be picking with their first round picks, plural, or just one if they trade out of um, the first round with their first or second pick. Um, What I will tell you right now is there's a few players to highlight right now. So I'm going to highlight a few players that I believe are realistic expectations in my opinion on who they could be picking in the first round so I think Dewan Jones the offensive tackle Paris Johnson offensive tackle Peter Skaronsky Joey Porter BJ Ujolari I'm looking through this list Nolan Smith Kali Ringo Jalen Carter Lucas Van Ness Brian Brissy Bijan Robinson and maybe Broderick Martin out of 
Kentucky. So, of course, these are top 30 visits. So some of these visits, you're they're not going to be, you know, when they say top 30, they're not all locks to be in the first round. In fact, a lot of these people definitely are not going to be in the first round. For, for a fact, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, QB out of UCLA, he's not going to be top um, first round. He's probably not going to be second round or third round. I don't even think the Eagles are interested in picking him. It just gives you it gives you a list of players you can interview, can interview. And so, yeah, those are the list of the players the Eagles have interviewed. My whole opinion is this. I think there's probably five players that they could pick with pick 10, and that would be Jalen Carter, Bijan Robinson, um, Lucas Van Ness, Nolan Smith, and maybe an offensive tackle if you want to throw another one in there, like Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, or the tackle out of Tex, um, out of Tennessee. The name is slipping slipping me right now. Um, I'm coming up with it here. He's, he has definitely risen up a lot of draft boards, and I know a lot of player people are interested in him. Um, it's not Dewan Jones out of Ohio State. He's out of Tennessee, and I just mentioned him. Um, Darnell Wright, he's the offensive tackle of Tennessee. He's a swing tackle. So my whole opinion is, is I think there's only just a select few that the Eagles could stick with at 10. Then in the later rounds in pick 30, you're probably looking at guys like Brian Bercy, you know, it depends on where Bijan Robinson goes. I think he'll be gone by pick 30. But Brian Brissy, Kali Ringo, um, Emmanuel Forbes, um, maybe Dewan Jones, depending on how high some players, people are on him. I think Dorno Wright is gone by pick 16. Um, maybe he slips into the pick 20, but he's rising up people's draft boards. So that gives you guys sort of – BJ Ojolari is another one. That gives you guys a few players sort of in the back end of the um, – in the – of the first round that they could be targeting. And ultimately a lot of this just depends on where the Eagles pick because right now they're scheduled to pick a pick 10 and pick 30. This could drastically change if they move up in the draft or back in the draft. We just don't know. And it's, and we won't know really could, we may not know even until draft night. So that is it for Philadelphia Eagles news. I'm going to be moving on to topic number four and that is NFL news. So of course, you know, we've had, it's been a quiet news for the NFL this week, outside of the sale of the Commanders and the and the signing of Jalen Hurts to a contract, the NFL has not experienced too much change this year. This week, um, some news to keep in mind would be Bud Dupree signed with the Atlanta Falcons on a one-year deal. He's a linebacker and a defense slash defensive end, depending on what formation they play in. He previously played for the Titans and Steelers. He was a first-round pick for the Steelers um, a couple of years ago. You know, this is a good signing. The, uh, the Atlanta Falcons were really primarily dominated the last six days in the NFL when it comes to signings. They also signed, re-signed Kadero Hodges, their wide receiver. Um, there's, you know, they have Kyle Pitts, obviously, and um, the wide receiver out of uh, USC that they signed last year. Those guys are, you know, this is not a big signing. This is just a depth signing for them. Um, but Kadero Hodges has definitely been a good player for them um, in the past, and they re-signed him. They also made a pretty big trade that I think could end up being shocking the, the NFL world in how successful this could be. Jeff Okuda was traded by the Lions to the Falcons on Tuesday for a fifth-round pick. He's a former 2019 first-round pick, and he pairs with first-round pick A.J. Terrell that um, or Terrell that the um, that the um, Falcons picked out of Clemson a couple of years ago, and I believe it was also in 2019, maybe. So um, this is a big pick. Um, 
you know, Jeff Akuda obviously missed the entire of his rookie season with a torn um, ACL, um, Achilles, I believe, or ACL, one of the two. And so, you know, he, the last three years, he's definitely not lived up to the top pick that he was picked as in the first round. But I think if he can turn it back around and be a good cornerback too, this could be a steal for the Falcons with a fifth round pick where you typically, when you, when you're looking at fifth round picks from a general manager standpoint, you know that there's a real chance that this person may not even make it to the first year on your team. So I think Jeff Akuta is more than likely making it on the team. Assuming he, you know, he holds up his end of the bargain in training camp and, um, you know, obviously off the off season, but this is a big pick. So of course, all the four signings that were, you know, noted, those three of them were, um, were, the Atlanta Falcons. So they were making moves this this um this week. And it's an interesting one. Falcons still have a big question mark on who they're picking at quarterback if they're picking in the first round. You know, they have the quarterback out of Cincinnati from last year. They also have ex commanders quarterback Taylor Heineke. It appears that Taylor Heineke is going to be the starter, but I could see um I could see there being a competition. We also don't really know whether they're eyeing a guy like Will Levis or, you know, we know they're not going to pick a guy like CJ Stride or Bryce Young, but they could be eyeing a guy like Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, Will Levis out of Kentucky, Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Both of those guys, you know, a lot of, it is up in the air on where teams view either of those two players. It looks like both of those guys are going to go somewhere before pick 15. Um, some teams don't have a first round grade on them, but I would say quarterback needy teams do. Then of course you get later in the first round and potentially middle of the first round, but I'm thinking later in the first round, early in the second round, you've also got a guy like Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. So the Falcons have options if they want to bring in another guy, but the difficult part about the Falcons right now is I would not say they're in a full rebuild. The Bud Dupree signing was a little weird because it's like a one year signing and you're like, well, what are you guys thinking? But I don't think they're in a full rebuild, but the real question is they could end up netting the number one overall pick next year. They have a few pieces to build around with, including a decent O-line. So never really know. And Taylor Heineke also can win you games. So I don't, that division is so open because of the way that, you know, you've got, you've got Carr in New Orleans. You've got a hundred percent guaranteed a court, new quarterback in Carolina. You've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Baker Mayfield and you've got the Falcons with, who knows, but Taylor Heineke, the guy out of Cincinnati, or a drafted player. You really just don't know where the Falcons are going to land with a quarterback, but this division is very much open. Um, and and I'm excited to see, you know, who who wins the NFC South because, you know, a lot of people were making fun of the NFC East where the Eagles are in, the division the Eagles are in, and now it looks like the NFC South could be the laughing stock this year. So I am not entirely complaining about that, even though it is nice when you're the only good team in the NFC East, which – you know, weirdly enough, as not being a repeat person. Um, and so will we see in the NFC East a repeat division winner? And that remains to be seen. Moving on to my NBA seg- segment. So this segment is going to be all NBA. And starting with topic number five, I am focusing on the NBA Eastern Conference Playoffs us- update. So as you guys know, on Tuesday of last week, the Atlanta the Hawks defeated the Miami Heat in the NBA play-in tournament. They now face. They will now be facing the Boston Celtics, who they lost to um, on Saturday in a seven-game series in the first round of the NBA playoffs. So they lost 199 to 112 to the Boston Celtics. It looked like a relatively convincing win by the Celtics. I have a feeling this could be one of those four-game um, four-game sweeps by the Celtics in the first round. As you guys, if you know. 
on Tuesday, um, well, on Monday when I was filming the podcast, I predicted that the Hawks would actually lose to the Heat and then lose to the Raptors. So I went three in three out of four teams that I picked to go to the playoffs in the play-in tournament were correct. Um, but the Hawks were one of the teams I actually had missing out on it altogether. And they ended up netting the seventh seed, which right now could end up being a curse, which is interesting. We're gonna get I'm gonna get to that here in a minute. But moving on to the next NBA play play-in tournament on the Eastern Conference, Wednesday, the Chicago Bulls defeated the Toronto Raptors, but proceeded to lose to the Miami Heat in the second round of the tournament. And the Heat now will be playing the Milwaukee Bucks in a saving game series in the first round of the NBA playoffs. So it's interesting. You know, when I look at the Eastern Conference in moving into the NBA playoff game one series that took place over the weekend, the two two lower seed teams, so out of the four, um, four games that were played, two lower seed teams won. That's pretty interesting. You know, it definitely means that there there's going to be some competition in the NF. I mean, in the um, NBA's Eastern Conference. Um, on Saturday, the Philadelphia 76ers defeated the Brooklyn Nets 121 to 101 in Game One of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Joel Embiid was frequently doubled in the in this series, um, in this game, um, and but he still managed to put up a good stat line. Um, but as we're speaking, the Philadelphia 76ers are losing by seven points with two minutes left to go in the first round of the NBA um, series of game one. And I said last week, I really think this is going to be a six-game series. Um, I I have a lot of respect for Mikhail Bridges and the um, Brooklyn Nets. Nets um, I don't think this is going to be a run over a team. If the Sixers can go up 2-0, maybe they can get this game in five, but I don't think it's going to be a sweet and right, sweep. And right now they're losing by seven points, which could change. Um, I may announce the, the 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 score before the end of the game, but moving on to the next um and um NBA Eastern Conference game, the New York Knicks narrowly defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers in Game One of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And the rear, you know, what I talked about last week is currently when I when when I spoke on Monday night, there was a lot. There was a big question mark on whether Julius Randle would be playing for the Knicks. Well, he returned and he played. The game, uh, the game for the Knicks, and that I believe is a really big deciding factor on why they were able to pull off this win. The real question is, can the Knicks pull off the upset? Because you know, I don't think everyone had the Cavaliers winning, but it's a big, it was a big expectation that the Cavs were going to pull this game out, um, especially if Julius Randle was going to miss games. Moving on, the Boston Celtics defeated, as I said, the Hawks. I know I'm just re, I'm just restating that as I stated earlier on. 99, I mean, 112 to 99, you know, I, I just, I don't see much for the Hawks in, 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 uh, in their chances of winning against the Celtics, who a lot of people have as a favorite to represent the NBA Eastern Conference. Moving on for probably arguably the biggest game of the weekend on the NBA Eastern Conference was the Heat defeating the Bucks 130 to 117 in Milwaukee's stadium. However, they did this without Giannis, who only played 11 minutes in the game after suffering a suffering a lower back contusion. So, of course, you know, when I saw initially this, I was working on Saturday. When I saw the score, I was like, whoa, what a shocker. Then when I saw the reason why potentially they lost, I was like, okay, the Heat played really, really well. But 
the Bucks were also missing an NBA MVP candidate in Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that's a big deal if you're missing him for about three quarters of the game. That's a huge deal. So, you know, it appear it looks like there was no structural there no, it was announced that there was no structural damage to his back and the coach is optimistic he could return for game 2. So, I will say this right now before moving on to the Western Conference playoffs update. If Giannis Antetokounmpo cannot play in game 2 and the Heat take game 2, going back home facing in their home crowd a Giannis Antetokounmpo who is probably still recovering from that injury, and they pull off this game too and go home, beware. Because if this game gets split in Miami and it goes 3-1, I think Miami becomes the shocker and actually beats the Boston Celtics. And here's this deal. This is where it gets crazy. If Miami beats the Boston Celtics, I mean, it beats the Milwaukee Bucks, they, as long as the Boston Celtics win, would play the Boston Celtics. And the 76ers would actually get a second round at home, which is big because it could mean that the Sixers could either host the Eastern Conference Finals if the Heat were to surprise and beat the Celtics, or you have this big rivalry between the Celtics and the 76ers going to the finals. So, of course, that is very, very much hypothetical, but this is a big deal. Um, and I would, I definitely expect some big changes to be made if... Giannis can't make it. How do they shut down and how do they compensate for Giannis not playing in game two if he does indeed miss it? Moving on to topic number six, I've got NBA Western Conference playoffs update. So the NBA Western Conference, you know, got a little bit more to talk to because there's a little bit more inf information. On Tuesday, the Los Angeles Lakers, Lakers defeated the Minnesota Timberwolves in overtime. As I had stated, I thought they would do in the NBA play-in tournament, and they are now facing the Memphis Grizzlies in a seven-game series of the first round of the NBA Finals. On Wednesday last week, the Oklahoma City Thunder defeated the New Orleans Pelicans, as I thought they would, in the NBA play-in tournament, but proceeded to lose, as I also thought they would, to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the second round of the tournament. Now, Rudy Gobert didn't end up playing, so that was a big reason why I believe the defense was able to shut down Oklahoma City Thunder, who had a high-powered offense. Um, but the Timberwolves now are playing the Denver Nuggets in a seven-game series in the first round of the playoffs. And I don't believe that is a blessing in disguise because the Denver Nuggets are <laughs> very good. And it shows by how they defeated last night the Timberwolves in game one. They defeated them by a score of 109-80, to where Jokic put up 13 points, 14 rebounds in 28 minutes. Now, what's interesting is both Jokic and Beat, big-time MVP candidates, both of them didn't have stats that jumped off the chart. I thought, personally, that Embiid played much better than Jokic, but Jokic also played um, a significant amount less than Embiid. So in Game 2, in Game 1, Embiid played... Uh, I'm looking at right now here for you guys. In Game 1, Embiid played... Well, actually, I take that back. Embiid, yeah, Embiid played 33 minutes, so 5 minutes more. Um, but, you know, he also had um, 26 points. Not as many um, rebounds or assists as Jokic, but it still goes to show you both of these guys are very dominant and they're very, very respected enough to where they're getting double teams, sometimes triple team, depending on the formation. And yeah, this is, this is going to be interesting to see. Will the Nuggets sweep the um, Grizzlies 
I mean, sorry, sweep the Timberwolves. I could see that very much happening. Now, Timberwolves may grab one at home and make this a five-game series. And if you're in the West, you're sort of hoping that happens because you don't want a rested Nuggets team, especially with Jokic, who may not be still playing at full health due to the calf issues he's been having. Moving on. So this is interesting. In the Western Conference, three lower seed teams won game one. So, of course, besides the Nuggets game, three lower seed teams won. And that, I think, signals as at the competitive nature, and I'm not saying there's a huge difference, but the competitive nature between the Western Conference teams and the Eastern Conference teams. I firmly believe that there's four Eastern Conference teams that are sort of head and shoulders, and that's probably the top three to five. You could probably alternate Cavs Cavs and Knicks. Um, But in the Western Conference, I really think that the top six to seven teams are all very much even. Not even in the way they played, but you could, like the series could go either way. And that is an example of that is the Sacramento Kings, Kings were narrowly defeated by the Golden State Warriors 126 to 123 in game one of the first round of the playoffs. And I spoke on the show last week on how I believed this series could be the highest scoring series in the NBA, in the NBA this year. And I believe that is a very possibility after seeing that score, which was very, very high. Both of these teams know how to play basketball. And they score a lot of points. And so that is going to be really, really exciting. Um, I think it's living up to the expectations of being a high-scoring affair. And it remains to be seen what happens. But the Golden State Warriors were obviously the sixth seed, playing the third seed Kings. This is a big deal because I think I, I thought the Warriors would pull this one out. I, I said it last week in the show. And it's showing that it may very well happen. And so, uh, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic that's happening right now. Will the Warriors be able to you know, live up to this hype, to this expectation um, that I sort of put on them last week in the show. Um, They're so far doing it. Um, And it's going to be really exciting, that series, to see how it plays out. Moving on to probably one of the most interesting, in my opinion, series was the uh, on the Western Conference was the Grizzlies versus Lakers. They defeated the um, Grizzlies at a score. The Lakers defeated the Grizzlies of a score of 128 to 112. You know, the big shocker that made a lot of Lakers fans, you know, hold their breath was Anthony Davis hurt his shoulder. Well, we didn't, the fans did not know, and I'm not a fan, but fans did not know what the extent of this injury was because we saw him mouth, I can't move my arm. And I'm thinking, oh crap, this is bad <laughs> because we know how injury played Davis has been, but we also know how integral he is to the Lakers' success. And I really thought, this is going to be bad. He injured it, however, in minute 115 of the second quarter, but returned in the second half and has said that it would be no issue moving forward. So I know a lot of Lakers fans are just breathing a sigh of relief because whenever you lose one of your star players, it's bad news. However, on the flip side, and this was the NBA on Sunday suffered a lot of injuries. You got Giannis, you got Davis, and you've got John Morant. Very concerning. So John Morant hurt his hand in game one. The x-rays came back negative, which is a positive, but he admitted that he's in a lot of pain and could miss game two. So that's a big, big deal because I think the only reason why this game was even remotely close, which of course we know it wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't within a margin of five or 10 points, but you know, because this game was, you know, competitive to say the least, it really, it begs this, it, you begged the question, okay, well, how does this, how does this playoff Morant misses game one? Because just like I talked about with the Keats against the Bucks. If the Grizzlies drop two games at home and then the Lakers go back to their home, 
and play these two games. And it's a 3-1 series. I think you can kiss this series goodbye. Now, do I believe the Grizzlies deserve to be second seed? Yes, but I also recognize that the Lakers being very um, um, experienced in the playoffs had an opportunity to upset this team. And, you know, to put it into perspective, LeBron James had 21 points. Vanderbilt had um, – uh, Davis had 22 points. D'Angelo Russell had 19 points. And Austin Reeves had – 23 points and um, Hachimura had 29 points. So the truth is of the six, you know, five starters, obviously, but of the six players getting main major playing time in time, almost five of them had double digits. I mean, had, had um, scores in the 20, 20 points or more. And that's a big deal. So, you know, um, the camper report, my brother, Benjamin Camperman announced last week in the chat that they would be going all the way. I really think the Lakers could be making moves this year. Um, as far as a dark horse, I didn't have them as a dark horse. I don't still have them as a dark horse because I think they're going to run into some issues. Um, but yeah, that's a very, very interesting um, matchup to look at, especially when they take them for game two, whether or not John Morant can actually play because he is really at the height of the success of the Grizzlies. Um, and so the very interesting moving forward to see how that plays out. Moving on to the final game that took place, and that was the Clippers versus the Suns. Now, I announced that this was going to be one of the more exciting um, matchups because, of course, as you guys know, the Suns beat the Clippers um, two years ago in the playoffs, and they beat them in four games, and it was a sweep, and it was bad, and it was not something you want to really um, be seen. Uh, it, you know, I think Clippers fans don't really appreciate that. Um <laughs> And but you know the biggest thing that stood out to a lot of fans today was that Russell Will Westbrook you know shot three for nineteen against the Suns but guarded Devin Booker very well. So you know I I think it's amongst the NBA it's a big toss up on where people feel this whether people feel this is good. Some fans are saying, look, you shoot three for nineteen, it's going to come back to bite you. Some fans are going, look, this is who Russell Westbrook is. He's not going to put up, put up a ton of points for you, but he's going to be a great defender. I will say this. I fall on more of the side that says, look, you can be a great defender, but if you're shooting, if you're taking 19 shots and only making three, at some point you're going to lose your team the game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if they encourage him to either, you know, you can't work on your shot tomorrow and expect to be better, but he either encourage him to take better shots, but some of them were wide open jumpers he was missing. I think they're not going to try to change the way he plays. They just may try to not put the ball in his hands as much. And that would probably be of benefit because it looks like his teams aren't taking him seriously. So very interesting to see what happens. And yeah, I'm excited to see how this series plays out. Um, you know, of course the Clippers beat the Suns and they're also a lower seeded team than the Suns. So what are we going to see in the Western conference? If we see three of four teams in the West, I mean um, three of, if we see, Three lower seed teams beat um, out of the four games. That's a that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Shows to you the quality of the competition in the NBA Western Conference. So you know, I uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, I am going to start doing did you know sports facts to finish off the stream. So I want to first of all thank everyone for their support over the last seven weeks. This was episode seven, and if you had told me. You know, last year this time, Joseph, you're going to be doing the show. I would have sort of laughed because I've been talking about it for over two years. And quite honestly, I've never taken the step to do it. And it means a lot, all the support I've showed. I got the most amount of views on my YouTube short that I posted ever. Um, 
last week. And so I am, I am really, really, really happy with all the support that I've been shown. It means the world to me. So I'm going to start to end the show with a topic seven. Did you know sports facts? Um, of course, if you want to get an inside look onto the sports facts, check out my weekly news report that's released on Instagram at the Long John Podcast every Sunday. And the last slide is going to start moving forward being the Did You Know Sports Facts. So, did you guys know that in American football in 1906, when the forward pass was introduced, an incomplete pass would cost the team 15 yards? This blew my mind. When I was looking up some interesting facts, I was like, wait, what? Imagine if that rule still made sense today. It gets even worse. However, if the ball hit the ground without anyone making contact with it, so if it wasn't, if it was deflected and incomplete, that wouldn't count. But if it hit the ground with no one touching it, the team would lose possession of the ball, which is like essentially a turnover. So, like, if and of course you guys know how aggressive the um the um NFL was back in the day. Imagine some of those early games in the early 1900s where you're playing the ball. You're like, yo, if I just hold this player, I could totally screw this game up and I could get the ball back. And so I just thought that was funny. Of course, the NFL quickly did away with the or the American Football League quickly did away with the penalty um, and they abolished it in 1913. So, of course, you know, there wasn't any um, there wasn't, you know, the rule didn't last for very long. The seven years is long enough, but um, I thought it was very, very interesting. Um, that that was the case. I can't even imagine in the NFL in this day and age, if you had an incomplete pass, whether, whether it would be a 15 yard penalty. So I've got the Camperman camper report, my brother, Benjamin Camperman showing up, Benjamin, I appreciate you tuning in. I just got done talking about the, did you know sports fact of the day? And Benjamin, if you didn't hear in 1906, the NFL Inc- if you if you were playing in the American Football League, an incomplete pass would be 15 yard penalty. And if the ball, no one touched the ball when he hit the ground, the team would actually lose possession. So I was just talking about how crazy that would be. Um, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, what a stat! And so yeah, that sort of that sort of two um, rounds off my episode today. I appreciate all the support. Again, you can check me out. Make sure to visit the um, Long John Sports Weekly News Report on Instagram. You can check me out on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at the Long John Podcast. You can also check me out on Twitter at the Long John Pod. My streams show every week on you live on YouTube and Twitter, and they you can find them aired later on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also at the Long John Podcast. So thank you guys again. It's been a really fun episode talking about the NFL, the NBA, and dropping dropping a little sports fact of the day. Um, thanks again for any any and all of your guys' um, support. And uh, yeah, until next time, it's been your host, Joseph Camperman, and I'm signing off.